I would invite you to open up God's word, this one that we just sung about, the one who is the Lord himself, our righteousness, to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, that righteousness that is given to all who would believe when Jesus Christ himself took our sins upon himself and gave us everything good, right, perfect, everything that we need to be right and to stand before a holy God. That's whose word we're opening up this morning. So Luke chapter 6, as we continue and finish up this series on the parables. It's a joy to be back with you. I've been gone for the last several weeks had the opportunity to minister and, and speak at a couple of different camps and other opportunities, and then had a great time of vacation at the end of that as well with my wife. Uh, but it's great to be back to sit and to sing, to listen to you sing, to sing together about Jesus. We've missed being with our church family, and it's so good to be back with you. You know, one of the things that I did on the end of my vacation just last Monday morning was I went for a run on the beach. It was awesome, it was beautiful. And as I was running right next to the ocean on the water, there were several different sand castles that had been built from the day before. From children, some of them looked a little like they've been pieced together and put together quickly. Some with a lot of detail, impressive little sand castles. And one of the greatest joys I had was while I was running to get to stomp on each and every one of those. <laughs> it's a great joy in doing that. But really, I didn't have to do a lot of destruction with my feet because a lot of the destruction had already happened throughout the night. The water itself had risen up and the water actually destroyed a lot of these sandcastles before I even got there. I was just a final blow. But I noticed that the sand was so easily destroyed, so easily manipulated into what the water, whatever it wanted to do with it. But I noticed as well that there was this big expanse where there were a bunch of rocks that went way out into the ocean. And as I got done, I stood and I just watched those. And as the waves came crashing in on those rocks, the rocks actually manipulated the water. The water didn't do what it did to the sand. When it hit the rocks, the water was actually pushed back. Luke chapter 6, verse 46 is where we'll be beginning. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, says these words. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the floods arose, the streams broke against it. That house could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears does not do, oh, excuse me, let's start over on that again. But the one who hears and does not do them, that is, does not put them into practice, is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the streams broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of the house was great. This is the word of God this morning. 
Jesus is finishing up what is called in Luke the Sermon on the Plain. Some of you might be more familiar with the longer version of it, the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew. And we're picking up just as Jesus' capstone on the end of everything that he has just said. Not, not too far after where Luke is taught last week about not judging others, removing the plank from your own eye before expect, inspecting the speck in someone else's. Jesus begins to tell a parable as he ends it up about a house. And he compares these houses to our lives. The house represents our convictions, our ambitions, our hopes, and our choices. Two houses are pictured here. One stands and endures through the storm, and the other is destroyed. The one that is destroyed has its foundation built upon sand, and the one that endures is built on the rock. Now, the sand can be deceiving. You know, when you think about this, it isn't probably a beach house, but a house that looks just like any other house until it's tested. When the rains came down and the floods came up, right? The house on the sand went splat because it had no foundation. Water is powerful, isn't it? Unharnessed, unleashed water is capable of great destruction. And it's a tester of how strong your foundation really is. Check out this little video of the power of water. Back in the day when I was a youth pastor, nearly lost my shorts. <laughs> Anything goes. Oh, how fun that was. But you've seen the devastation and the destruction of water. Even here in, this, in central Iowa over the last couple of months, how quickly it came in. And it doesn't matter if you had the most beautiful building ever. If you've got all the marble countertops and the gold toilets, it doesn't matter if you don't have a sturdy foundation. It will not last when the wind and the waves come against it. The rock, however, is different. It's able to endure in the harshest of storms. The difference is, even though both houses looked the same, one was built on a rock, had a sturdy foundation. Now, if you've heard this story before, maybe you think about a rock as in a house that's built upon a big cliff on top of a giant rock. But what it actually is here is the word Petra, which doesn't mean a small stone or even a large boulder, but what that means is actually the bed rock. When you dig down deep, it's a large expanse of rock that is under the earth on which you can build a solid foundation. Now, why this comparison? Why does Jesus use these two foundations or these two houses? The whole context is Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but yet you don't do what I say? People are coming and saying that they're followers of Jesus. They like being associated with him. 
They like the stuff that he is doing. It's exciting being a part of a crowd. They like to listen to his words, but Jesus is saying, but you're not putting them into practice, so why are you calling me Lord? Because Lord means you're actually gonna do what I say. One writer actually says, many of us, including today, would rather have Jesus as our mascot rather than our Lord. Get excited, rah, rah, yay, Jesus. So this last vacation, Bible school was a sports team, and we had an exceptional visit from Cubby Bear from the Iowa Cubs. And I didn't even know he was coming that night. And I walked in, and I was more excited than the children. It was incredible. I was going crazy. Cubby Bear was at our vacation Bible school. He was up here dancing around and doing the songs with the kids. But you know what Cubby Bear didn't do that night? He didn't do the Bible lesson. Why? Because he's a mascot. Mascots don't talk, and when they start talking, you don't listen to what they have to say. It's weird, right? They're broken character. Imagine you're at your favorite sporting event, and he, uh, you're, the mascot can make you do whatever you want, right? It's like, oh, raise your hands this way, this way. And you make noise. But imagine he comes out at halftime, and he says, I just want to take a little bit of time and talk to you about some advice about how you can invest your 401k. Right? It's like, oh, okay, crossing the lines here, buddy. But that's what a mascot does. We get jacked, we get excited to see him, but we don't listen to what he has to say. And Jesus is talking to people. He's saying, you get all excited and rowdy about me. You like this sense, that feeling that you get when you come together, but you're not being obedient to me. So don't call me Lord unless you're going to do what I say. Jesus says, The one who can call me Lord is one that has a firm foundation that is built on the rock, the one that is dug down deep. So I want to talk to us this morning from Jesus how to know if you're built on the rock. How to know if you're built on the rock. First, you take time to dig. You take time to dig. Verse 47, the first part of it, Jesus says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words, a house or a life that is built on the rock begins with a life built upon the word of God. And this takes great effort. It's a struggle. It's something that's not always easy, but to be built on the rock is a life that is built upon God's word. You notice the man that builds on the rock, he doesn't just go and start building. He grabs his shovel, digs down deep until he reaches the rock bottom. Now, a lot of kids went back to school this week, right? If you've been anything, anywhere close to social media, you would see everybody went back to school this week, and even people that didn't have kids really taking pictures of the neighbors just to be involved in everything going on, right? So-and-so wants to be a fireman, wants to be a race car driver. Awesome. Very good. And so you see all these people going back to school, end of summer, and a new season is upon us. I don't want to ask you this morning, as we embark upon this new school year, Are you a person that's dug down deep into the word of God? Do you have a practice of spending time in God's word? We all want to feel deep feels about God, don't we? We want to feel so near to him and so close to him. We all want to feel deeply, C.J. Mahaney says, but in order to feel deeply, you must first think deeply. 
Because that's how those feelings arise as you get to know more about who God is. That's how you grow in relationship. The more that you get to know somebody, the greater affection you have towards them or a greater disdain depending on who they are. So you get down and you dig deep into Christ and you find out who he is and you study theology, that is to study God himself. Now a lot of us, like one guy said, we think about the word theology and we see in our minds visions of guys wearing turtlenecks and sipping lattes, right? And it's like, I don't want to have anything to do with that. That sounds pretty great to me, okay? But probably not for most of you. But theology is not that. It's really getting in down underneath the surface and having right thoughts about God, who he's revealed himself to us, and that inspires us to want to feel and to know him on a deeper level. If you want to feel deeply, you first have to think deeply. But so many of us, we're just scratching the surface. We grab the shovel, we move some dirt around, and it's like, okay, that's pretty good. You know, we get on the YouVersion Bible app, and we look up the verse of the day, we read that, send it out to a couple of different people, and we feel good. Just let me know, tell you right now, we all have the app, and we all know when you send us the verse of the day, okay? Like, all of us have already seen it, okay? But God is calling you to so much more than that, to not just scratch the surface, but dive in deep, You know, my uncle has said to me, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you're missing out on because you don't know that it exists. I drive a 2002 Pontiac Sunfire. It's beautiful. Low mileage. And it's a classic car. It's got the crank handles on it, right? To unlock the doors, you have to reach back and unlock each one of them manually. Well, my previous house, I had a detached garage that the Sunfire was in. And during the, the winter, right, I mean, oh, it's coming up, right? It's coming in Iowa. It's going to be freezing cold again. And I would go up there, open the garage, get in, start the car. So when I go out, it was warmed up, and I could sit in the heat of the car. Well, one day I was coming back from church, and I had a bunch of books in my hand, and my keys were sitting on top of my books. And I had them leaning against my chest after I got out of the car. I'm walking into the house, and the car shut off, but then all of a sudden the car turns on. I turned around, I was like, that's really strange. I can't say that's ever happened before. And so I go and shut it off. And then I look at this little keypad that I have in my hand. And even though I have manual locks and manual windows, there's this little button on there that has a little, like, ignition thing on it. I'm like, I wonder what that does. And so I stood about 10 feet from the car and I had remote start on the car and I didn't even know it. <laughs> The previous owner had had it installed, and I talked to him. He said, oh, yeah, I put that in so my wife could sit in the house and start the car up. I was like, this is amazing. I didn't know what I didn't know, but it had been there all along in my pocket. Do you think I ever went outside again to start the car? No, I sat inside sipping my latte in a turtleneck and started it from inside. (laughs) You don't know what you don't know, but when you find it, you know what it is. Jesus is calling you into something that maybe you've never experienced before, but when you find it, you see the joy that comes from digging down deep into God's word. I'm willing to sweat. I'm willing to get after it because I want to know God more. So this last year in our cell group, hopefully you have a time in your cell groups where the guys split up and the girls split up every once in a while and you share prayer requests together. We had one of those moments 
And we had a guy share a sin that he had been struggling with. Now, we weren't expecting it, but we weren't surprised by it. But he began to share about this struggle and wanting accountability and confessing it first to his wife, confessing it to God and saying, I need help in this area. And then we went into the relationship of helping him and helping him uh, grow and have victory. And we come back a couple months later and he says, God has given me victory. Sustained victory where I've had plenty of opportunities and God gave me victory in it. But you know what the main reason was? It wasn't because we were texting him and asking him how things were going. He said, it's because I started to soak up the word of God. I started to, to get into it on my own and read it with my wife. And my desires began to change. I started to become a different person. And God gave me victory when I started developing a habit of being in his word. Your foundation is to be the word of God. And it's to be the foundation of the church. That's what makes a church. Look at Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. It says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. That is, Gentiles, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Can I get an amen from a Gentile out there? Amen. We are fellow citizens with the Jews brought into the church. Now look at this. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, the foundation of the church is the teaching of the apostles and the prophets, the word of God and Jesus holding it all together. And any time that a church moves away from those two things, they cease to be a church. And we might move away from those things and we would, might come together still and feel good about it, but we wouldn't be a church anymore. We'd just be a nice social club. A church and our lives are meant to come together as individual houses, building up a spiritual house founded on the word of God and Jesus Christ. Well, let's look at the second component of having a life built on the rock. Look at verse 47. It says, everyone who comes to me Here's my words and does them. I will show you what he is like. So Jesus says, that's it. Just dig down deep, find the rock layer, and then you're done. No. Secondly, to know that your life is built on the rock is you take time to build. You take time to build. That's the whole point of what Jesus is saying. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? You see, Jesus isn't impressed by mere information about him. He wants that information about him, that theology to, be, to lead you to transformation by him. That's his desire. He doesn't want people walking around with big old heads full of knowledge and really small hearts. To know if you're a super lapsarian or whatever that means, right? You don't have to know that, but to know theology and to know that that theology motivates me to live in love, to pursue holiness and to be obedient to God. You see, living on the rock is diving down deep, getting knowledge and then living that out. Is your life built on the rock? I was, I was asking myself that question this week. I mean, sure, I would say yes, absolutely, but functionally, 
Is your life built on the rock? What is the foundation for your life? I mean, is it really your career? What happens when it's gone? Is it your family that you're building your life on? What happens when they grow up or one has to leave? What happens when you lose it? Is it a relationship that your life is built on? Or even the thought of a relationship that you're building, if I can get this foundation, then I'll be happy. What if you lose it or you never get it? Is your life built upon your health and your fitness? What happens when you get injured? If your life is built on sand, it can look fancy, put together, lots of sand and space for the kids to play and have a nice life. But when hard times come, your life will collapse because it's not built upon a solid foundation. That's why C.S. Lewis famously says, don't let your happiness depend on something you can lose. And we could adjust that a little bit this morning and say, don't build your life on anything that you could lose. But when your foundation is God's word and living it out, when the tidal wave hits your house, oh, it hurts, doesn't it? There's great pain in trial. There's great pain and loss. And you see that wave go over the house. It's like, no way did it survive that. But yet the wave pulls back and the house still stands. Why? Not because you're so strong and you have great willpower, but because your life is built on the rock. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. So trials, they do, are a part of building your life on this foundation. But the ultimate context that Jesus is speaking about here is not trials in life, but facing divine judgment. That's really the context of what he's talking about. If you look at the same uh, mirror of this passage in the book of Matthew, chapter 7, you'll see many will come to me in the end and say, Lord, Lord, and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. He says, if your life is not built upon the rock, it won't stand up in, trial in, this, in trials in this life, and it's not going to stand up one day in judgment. Jesus isn't impressed by people who just merely go to church that get worked up every once in a while in a Christian concert. He's looking for people who have a solid foundation. And the way that you get that solid foundation is through faith. Grace alone through faith alone. That's why John says, he's Jesus saying these words to John, he says, truly, whoever hears my words and believes in the one who sent me has eternal life. Okay, don't get confused in this moment here from this book, from this text that I'm saying that, that uh, works mixed with salvation is how you get a solid foundation. That's not correct. He says, if you believe in me, you have eternal life. 
He does not come into judgment, but he's passed from death into life. Now, how is that possible? Because Jesus entered into the darkest storm, finds all those who are trying to build their lives on anything and everything else but Jesus, his enemies. He comes in and he says, you want a solid foundation? It's me. And the only way that I can give you this solid foundation is to give my life in your place. And the Savior willingly lays down his life on our behalf, in our place, and rises again. And he says, here, build your foundation on me, the one that I have provided for you to all who would believe. Then John goes on to say in his his letter in 1 John 2, 3, he says, by this we know we've come to know him. Did you catch that? John says, how do we know that we have come to know God? He says, if we keep his commands. You come to Jesus through faith alone, and the evidence that you know him is you have a desire to be obedient to him, and you start being obedient to him through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how you know if you truly belong to him. So you look and you wonder, am I truly saved? Well, how do I know? You look at your present life. You say, so often we think, am I truly saved? Did I need to go back to that prayer that you prayed? You think, did I say the right words? Did I get it right? Maybe I should do it again and make sure I'm really sincere this time. No, John says, you look at your life right now. And you ask, am I presently placing all my trust in Jesus for salvation? And I'm not trusting in anything else. And if that's the case, then you say, and do I have a desire? And has there been obedience to God in my life? See, both people building experienced the storm, the same storm but one endured it and the other did not. It was based upon their foundation, the one that will endure trial and the one that will endure judgment. He who believes in the Son does not come into judgment, but passes from death into life. And if you're trusting in anything else, the house of your life will collapse and the ruin will be great. Eternal separation from God. So won't you build your life upon the rock that God himself has provided through his son, Jesus Christ. And those of you who have done so, won't you recommit in this school year to going even deeper into your relationship with God? Committing to the hard work of reading God's word. And not just reading it, but meditating on it and coming up with specific ways that you can apply it to your life. That's what Jesus says. Dig deep and then start building. Don't just read, but see, how does this apply to me today? How can I live out the very words of God? What does he want me to know? What does he want me to believe? What does he want me to do as a result of what I've read? Get your sweat on. Work hard. What I want to ask you to do is over the course of this next week, as a church, I'd like to see us commit to reading Romans chapter 12 every single day. Whatever you're reading, add that on to it. If you're not in the habit of reading on a daily basis, start there. And let's read through it. Let's pray through it together. Ask God to change us, 
to make us like him in light of his mercies. And let's see what that looks like. Because God, if you're praying and you're thinking about those things, God is going to give you an opportunity to put those things into practice. I was running on that very same beach just last week. And it was just me early in the morning. And then a, a beautiful woman dressed like they normally are on the beach came running in the other direction. And my flesh was saying, oh, man, look at that. But I had read Romans chapter 12 that day. And I had just read before I went out on that run, abhor evil, cling to what is good. I'm not saying that that woman was evil. It was my desires and the indwelling sin that's still within me. And because I read that that morning, Jesus brought that to my mind through the Holy Spirit. And I was able to say, okay, don't desire evil, but cling to the goodness of God. And in that moment, I didn't see that person as an object for me, but an object that's deserving of grace from God, made in the image of God. I was able to pray for that woman while I was running. Those things wouldn't have come to my mind. I would have given in to my natural desires if I didn't have God's desires in my heart from being in his word. And that's what happens when you dig down deep and through the power of the Holy Spirit, you apply what you read. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We dig down deep because God already loves us. He showed us the greatest love when he gave us the son, Jesus, to die in our place. That's why we obey him, because he loved us first. He sought us out when we were ungodly. We were his enemies, and he says, I love you, and I'm going to give my son to you to display my love for you. That's why. It's not so I can earn God's love, but because he loves me first, and he already loves me and accepts me fully through faith alone. So I love Jesus, and because I love him, I want to strive with everything I have to obey his commandments. Sailorville Church, what is your life built on? What is your life built on? Father in heaven, I pray, God, that we would be people with lives that are built on the rock that we would dig down deep and explore the heights and the depths and the riches and the goodness of God. This year that we would go even deeper than we ever thought and explore you, have greater thoughts and feelings about you and raise our affections to you more and to live in holiness, honor, to show hospitality, to use our gifting to share the gospel, to reach out, to invite people in because we're motivated by a God who loves us and our desire is to keep his commandments. So I pray, God, we would do that. God, I know there's some here this morning whose lives aren't built on the rock. Maybe they've said some nice things about God, but he's more the mascot rather than Lord. Pray they repent and truly believe in Jesus. Find that solid foundation. Build their life upon it, the foundation that's been given to them by grace. Lord, I do pray for the one that's here that is 
the waves and the wind are hurting right now. It's beating against the house of their life. Would they cling to the rock? Would we come around them and encourage them? Help them to endure and help them to endure to the end when one day we stand before you and say, my life is built on Jesus. I have no other hope but him. If you don't have your hope in Jesus, won't you trust him today? We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.